This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. That means it's the day after podcast. North Carolina falls to Notre Dame 31-17 in Keenan Stadium. Buck, I've got some opinions. I know you do. I know Jason does. So let's get right into it. Your overall take on what you saw Friday afternoon. The way I looked at this game was, and I think this is putting too much weight on the game, but Mac Brown talked about earlier in the week about this being a test, this being a look, a benchmark as how close North Carolina was uh, to getting to where they needed to be to compete on a national level. And he was asked that question in his post-game conference as well. And he answered by saying, we're really, really close. And you know, I, I think that's way too much weight to be putting on one game. I mean, if you looked at it last year when North Carolina went 6-6 six and six and they lost to Clemson 21-20 or whatever, they were really, really close too then. So uh, I, I think you have to look at the whole body of work of, of a season before you, you know, make that determination. But if, if we're going to use his formulation of it um, – you know, one is, I think, the defense looked much better, I thought, overall. Uh, I thought Bateman did a good job of what the pieces that he's got. We've talked about it all year. With the pieces that he had, he did an excellent job in on defense. And shockingly, special teams looked really good. Um, they didn't, you know, the kicking game was really, really solid. Uh, Kiernan did a great job punting the ball. Atkins hit his field goal. They almost had one block to the kicking game, but, you know, on the replay, it wasn't as close as it looked initially. And, you know, I think there was one time when Daz Newsom let the ball bounce on a, you know, a punt that he could have fielded and gave up a little yardage that way. But there was no serious gaffe on, on special teams. That unit looks a lot more solid. Um, the defense looks more solid. Here's my question is that when you're playing, you know, North Carolina has terrific offense, but when that terrific offense goes against a terrific defense, they, in this particular game, they did not have a counter for what, uh, Notre Dame was doing to stop their run game. And, and from there it went downhill once. Notre Dame was able to stop the run game. They were able to stop a lot of the other things that North Carolina was doing. So um, I, I think it, to get to an elite level, you've got to have an offense that can move the ball effectively, even against a really good 
defense. And so, you know, that's, that's where I'm at. And it's so odd to be criticizing the offense, um, which we have showered accolades on all year, but you've got to have a way to function when the other team's not giving you anything, you know, uh, we scream, take what they give you. Well, in this particular case, Notre Dame wasn't giving up anything. You've got to find a, a way to, to make yards, move the ball, advance, even when the other team is, isn't giving you anything. So uh, that's my takeaways from the game um, as best as I can remember it because it all got to be a blur there at the end. I agree with that. It, it looked very similar, to be honest with you guys. We talked a lot about judgment night in the past. Um, it looked very similar to that type situation where Carolina had no counter what a, a solid opponent was doing on defense. Jason, with that said, uh, from my vantage point, from the end zone, watching the game per in person, and I have not seen it on tape, it's one of those things I'd need to review the tape, as we so hate to hear coaches say in the post game. But Carolina just couldn't block them. That's what it looked like to me. It looked like the offensive line just could not block Notre Dame's defense. Uh, I think you might have a more nuanced approach than I have on that, but that's what I saw, and that's um, it bears out in the second half, the stats there. But what was the real cause, or what's your take on the cause of why Carolina could do virtually nothing offensively, especially in the second half, or e even after the first two drives of the game? Yeah, I mean, well, the fact that they were able to do what they did in the first two drives tells you that they were able to actually block them when it came to personnel. Right? I mean – that, that's one of those things when, when you see, okay, they, they came out and they, they, they took it to them on those first two drives and they ran the ball on them. They threw it down the field. They did. In fact, if you look at our game plan podcast, what we said to expect, <laughs> they did, they did what exactly what we thought they'd do against Notre Dame's defense. And then Notre Dame's defense adjusted, right? Then they started bringing those linebacker blitzes downhill run blitzing and specifically bringing guys through the back side. So when, 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 when North Carolina would, would pull somebody, they'd run the, the backside backer. They'd trigger that backer immediately and, and have him, instead of scraping over the top to, uh, to meet the, the puller on the other side, they'd have him chase the puller to the back hip of the running back, and their backers are athletic enough that they were able – to do what they – they were able to chase that down and, and make some tackles in the backfield. And they basically took the gamble of, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and try to get some tackles for loss here that are going to put you behind schedule that otherwise you're not going to be able to um, – you're not going to be able to, to handle unless you, unless you have a counter for this. And so when they got those run-throughs – from those backers. And again, you don't have somebody who's d designated necessarily to get that, to get that blocker there or to get that backer coming through the, through the gap there. If they're going to get that run through, you've got to be able to adjust and run some different things that don't give them the opportunities for some of those tackles for loss. But they really, a lot of the things that they did had to do with basically countering what North Carolina likes to do and using their athleticism and the quality at linebacker 
to take advantage of some of those things and force North Carolina to start beating them left-handed. And we've talked about this before. Good defensive coordinators everywhere. The, 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 the design, what you hear good defensive coordinators talk about, or any defensive coordinator really, is you got to make an offense beat you left-handed. Well, North Carolina hasn't played very many teams the last couple of years with the, with the defensive quality to be able to make them win left-handed, to make, to make that offense play left-handed. Well, Notre Dame has the personnel and they have the ability to, to implement that personnel to do that. And so what they were able to do, what we didn't see a bunch of is North Carolina's defensive line just blowing up or or, uh, Notre Dame's defensive line blowing up North Carolina's offense, offensive line. You didn't see that where it's like a defensive tackle, just, you know, putting a guy on skates and putting him four yards in the backfield. You didn't see a lot of that. But you saw a lot of backers getting in there. You saw, and so what that tells you is Notre Dame is jumping on that stuff. Now, what North Carolina has traditionally done to compete with that, to, to counter that, is run the RPO stuff. Okay, so if you're going to bring your backers downhill, we're going to throw it behind them. We're going to throw that glance route behind them. Well, one of the things that was happening there is they would bring that backer, but they would fill that, that space for the glance route or some of those things. And I've broken down that glance route a couple times on, on the inside Carolina in those videos. Well, what Notre Dame did is they, they brought a safety down or they pulled the other backer over to the, to the glance route that they knew would be the option here for Sam Howell. So Howell would pull it and then go to take the glance route. And then all of a sudden there's, there's no glance route because they'd be sitting on it. And then Howell's in the backfield with nothing. You know, he's, he's sitting there, you know, his keister's blowing in the wind, as they say. You know, he's got nothing to do because it, he, he chose the option, the throw option, and the throw option gets taken away on the post-snap read because of, of late movement. And so now he's, he's, he's shot. He's either taking a, a sack or he's, he's having to find some way to throw it away. So you've got to find a way to counter, okay, we know they're doing this now, so what can we do to take advantage of that. And I felt like this was a game where North Carolina didn't really have adequate counters to Notre Dame's counters on defense. They came in and when both teams were kind of feeling each other out in those first couple drives, Carolina showed that they have the personnel to to do that. They showed that they had the base level game plan to do what they needed to do, but the counters to the counters weren't there for North Carolina on offense in, in this game in my opinion. And this is one where, you know, I'm, I, I've gotten criticism at times from some of the inside Carolina folks about not criticizing the coaching staff enough that, you know, Oh, it's personnel. It's personnel. Well, in this case, I, I think actually the coaching staff didn't have the offense adequately prepared for some of those counters when you're playing a really good defense. And the thing is we saw, in Notre Dame, arguably the nation's best offensive line. Yeah, they were missing their center, and that made a difference. We'll talk about that later. But that was a really good offensive line. And North Carolina was able to get some stops, and they were able to do some things because of what Jay Bateman did up front and did with his linebackers. And Notre Dame was able then to adjust a little bit and, and sort of roll with the punches. They made a few, a few little tweaks to be able to beat that that North Carolina defense left-handed. But the fact is in the modern game, the offensive line is always going to have some trouble against good defenses. 
So even if you have the best offensive line in the country, an elite offensive line, when you play an elite defense, and I think it's fair to say that Notre Dame has, if not an elite defense, a very, very good one. They're a top 10 defense in the country, I think that you're going to have problems blocking. You're going you're gonna to get pressure on your quarterback. You're going to have times where you're not going to have running room. That's just the fact when you're playing really good defenses that can take some of that away, and that's where you need that second-level counter. And I felt like that was missing from the, from, the Notre Dame, or from the North Carolina offense against the Notre Dame defense. Buck, listening to Jason and somebody on the message board, Navy Blue, shout out to Navy Blue, said, I want to hear the IC experts talk about why this excellent offense can't seem to counterpunch its way out of a paper bag. Uh, that sounded, he ain't wrong. Like, that sounded like an explanation right there from Mr. Staples. But, but you know, we've talked about this um, before on this podcast that Carolina reminds me of Oklahoma right? That, that seems to be the angle they're going. Now, granted, Carolina's defense did plenty to win yesterday, but to Jason's point there, Oklahoma runs up against a good defense, and the same type things would happen um, in the playoffs. Could be wrong, but that's what it reminded me of watching and, and thinking about while Jason was talking. So Jason's gotten into the coaching staff a little bit. Where do you stand on it? I, you know, I, I'll be honest, watching the game live, in person, it looked like a personnel issue. Um, but after the fact, hearing people discuss it, my the worm has turned a little bit for me, maybe, Buck. Is that fair, or, or where do you stand on it? Because you've seen a lot of football, a lot of Carolina football over the years. It's fair, I think, to have criticism of the offensive staff in this game to an extent. It's fair. Uh, Nobody is going to – now, some of the over-top comments, I can live without those. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody needs to have their walking papers today. You're playing a very, very good team. Uh, that's just the bottom line there. But uh, Jason is, is entirely right that North Carolina just did not have a counter for Notre Dame's scheme to stop – defensive scheme stopping – North Carolina's running game. And once they were able to stop the running game, then everything started going downhill. You know, there were times, um, to your point, when Notre Dame would, would rush four and still put Howell under a lot of pressure or even sack him. Well, at that point, they were third and 10 or third and 12. And, you know, he's got to hold the ball a long time to get it downfield and you, you, you can get away with rushing four in, in that situation. And you know, an offensive lineman is going to be able to give you maybe two seconds, two and a half best case. But if it's taken longer than that to get somebody open and Notre Dame was solid in coverage, they were, they were solid in run defense. They were solid pressure in Sam Howell and they were solid in coverage. Um, so all of that, might make you think that the offensive line just sucked. They just got pushed around. They were just horrible. But, you know, if if you're going to ask, you know, any offensive lineman in the world to, you know, maintain a block for three seconds, uh, you're probably asking him more than he can do. And so I think that's Jason's point and my point to a certain degree. 
can North Carolina's offensive line get better? Sure, it can. I mean, there's no seniors on that team. Uh, they're starting a what a redshirt freshman at left tackle. Um, you know, so you know, obviously North Carolina's offensive line can get better, and obviously they're going to have trouble against bet, the better defensive line, which uh, you know Notre Dame has one of those, but. Um, I don't necessarily see it as, uh, a personnel issue so much as it is, um, uh, experience, you know, the being exposed to those kinds of defenses. We've talked about this in the past that, you know, when you're not used to playing a defense like that, that can rattle your cage a little bit, you know, so. Um, I, I really think, um, you know, Notre Dame is for real. I mean, if they're not a top, if they're not the second best team in the nation, they're easily within the top five. They're solid up and down the roster. And, you know, this game was tied three times. And uh, North Carolina went into the fourth quarter trailing 24-17. So, you know, uh, I, I don't see this as a total, you know, system failure across the board. North Carolina was fighting hard. They were doing the best they could. Um, they're not quite there yet in terms of having all of the pieces across the board that Notre Dame has. I mean, that's just a, the long and the short of it. They don't have all those pieces. And I think they're on the way to accumulating those, but they're not there yet. Jason, let's we, stick we, on. We said that going into this game, that this Notre Dame team is no worse than top five, six in the country, right? Even if they're not the number two team, we, we knew going into this game, this, this, this team was for real and that they would be a legit measuring stick for where North Carolina is. And North Carolina was seven, point, was seven points down on that team, like you said, Buck, in the fourth quarter. That's where North Carolina is as a program right now, which – to be totally honest, that's maybe a little ahead of schedule compared to where people would have expected with Mac Brown taking over from a team that had had trouble winning more than three games a couple years in a row. So, you know, there, there's another way to view this. And I do, by the way, Tommy, I think you're right uh, in terms of what you were saying. Uh, actually, both you and Buck were, were talking about how uh, the offensive line in pass protection, they did get their butt handed to them a few times there. And that, but that's something that we've known all year, that that's a little bit more of a weakness. And that's partly a structural weakness in the way that the offense is designed in terms of how much you rep those things. This offense is not designed to be a drop-back protection offense for, you know, three seconds on third and, third and 11. It's designed to be a, a, a head-of-the-chains offense. And, you know, Brian Kelly said after the game, he said, it took us a little bit to adjust to what they to, – to their speed – of how they execute what they do on offense because uh, he said, you know, for us playing this offense is kind of like playing a triple option and they handled it. They, they treated it. They schemed for it. Like it was a triple option offense, which it is in the way that they've been running it. It is, it's, it's sort of like North Carolina gives teams basically a, a kind of spread a little bit more passing oriented, you know, in terms of uh, the, the pitch play is really their, their downfield RPO stuff. But it's a triple option offense, kind of like preparing for a Paul Johnson type thing. Well, the thing about those offenses is that you tend not to be great 
those option offenses tend not to be great in third and 11, third and 10 because, because of the pass blocking thing. And there's some truth to that for North Carolina as well. They spend a lot of time on the run blocking for RPOs and they don't spend as much time on some of the, some of the pass blocking stuff. And that's something that with the more experienced offensive line, as they continue into next year, you expect them to get even better to, to close that, that weakness a little bit next year as well. Cause the personnel's there anyway. Yeah, I agree with that. And I want to talk about a couple guys on Notre Dame's defense after the break and sort of see as we talk about North Carolina's defense after the break, where that we're having a player or two like that certainly will make a difference for Carolina down the road. But let me take a chance to talk about Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. They're great sponsors of this podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina. And they're great friends of you if you're inside Carolina Premium Subscriber because you get 10% off your everyday mm. order. Hey, look, they have sales all the time. Jason knows about the sales. But do you realize how much 10% more can save you if you tack it on to 30 or 40 or 50% sale? Johnny T-Shirt does it. They've got jerseys. They've got uh, all the gear you need. And, of course, they're running plenty of Christmas Day sales or Christmas sales. Black Friday has passed. They're still doing the Black Friday sales a little bit. Get on there. Get subscribed to their email list. You'll get all the sale notifications. And if you're in town, go see them. Another beautiful day in Chapel Hill yesterday. Would have been a perfect opportunity to go visit those guys. Locally owned and operated and small business and need your help and support. Take another break. Let the national folks pay the bills. We'll be right back with the Game Plan Podcast. Rate us, review us, subscribe while you're listening to the commercials. Not the Game Plan Podcast. Yeah, I always do it at least once. The day after podcast. And we don't edit these, so folks are seeing the sausage made. The day after podcast, Buck Sanders, Jason Staples, I'm Tommy Ashley. We, we will be right back after the break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Oh, me, we're back. It's the Inside Carolina Day After Podcast. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Rate us, review us, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Buck, I'm going to start with you just like I always do, even though you just called me out, threw me off my game. Uh, Carolina's defense, look, going in, and I said it earlier in the show, if you told me Notre Dame had 24 points with two minutes left in the game, I'm saying Carolina's winning significantly easier than anybody in the world expected buck overall how do you think this defense stepped up against an offense and an offensive line for notre dame that was just as efficient as it gets never mind the quarterback making every play he could possibly make 
on Friday. At one point during the game, Jay Bateman broke his clipboard, uh, snapped his clipboard in half. Uh, Notre Dame was on one of their long drives, and North Carolina couldn't get off the field. And North Carolina gave up too many long drives. Uh, that's one thing on defense. But uh, two things I think helped them a lot yesterday was I haven't seen the numbers on PFF. Maybe Jason could get them at some point. But um, I don't think they had that many missed tackles yesterday. I thought their tackling was pretty good, probably as good as it's been this year. Uh, so – to me, I think that's sort of an effort thing. Maybe practice obviously comes into play a lot, but they, I think, number one, they gave great effort overall. Um, and, and number two, uh, I thought Bateman did a good job of mixing up his fronts. Um, I think he, you know, came from different places to try to thwart what uh, Notre Dame was doing. But while we're on the subject, I, I just want to play that I just could not believe that I saw was Ian Book. He gets flushed out of the pocket. He's scrambling around to his left. He does like a back tennis backhand throw, uh, shuffle pass, which and Chas Surratt hits him on the arm, by the way, while he's trying to throw that. And the ball uh, goes in the air about 20 feet and lands in the hands of their true freshman tight end, 87. First down. I mean, we'll try this at home, kids. Yeah, it was uh, – and, it, and look, that happened right in front of us. And Gimmel slipped trying to cover baby grunt there. Yeah. Uh, but it was just like, yeah, it's time to go home, boys. Yeah, and, and, and the reason he made that decision, by the way, is because he saw the, that the backer had his back to him, so he couldn't mm -hmm. see the ball. So he was basically, I'm going to toss this out there, and my guy can adjust to it, and their guy isn't looking at it. And it's not going to – there was no chance of an interception on that play. It's not right, like and he, he threw it into crazy coverage. Right, he knew that. He knew that there was no chance of an interception because it's man coverage and the guy's got his back to the ball. So I'm just going to take a chance. This is a 50-50 shot, just like you'd get on the outside – it's just the weirdest way to do it, and don't try this at home, kids. So, I mean, you know, but those kinds of plays, I, I mean, I got to make, you know, Bateman aged by about 20 years. Uh, oh. uh, that's, that's just got to be a killer. And that's not the only time that, that Book used a, you know, schoolyard, you know, run down to the Blue Buick and make a left kind of play. <laughs> um so, you know, I think Ian Book did a great job improvising during the game. And, uh, you know, to his credit, he deserves credit uh, for making those kinds of plays. But I think, yeah, back to your original question to answer it again, I think they gave great effort. I thought their tackling was pretty good. And I think Bateman did a good job scheming. So um, they still gave up 468 yards. But, um they were able to do things to, to keep Notre Dame off the scoreboard for the most part. So, um, and that last, uh, when they were gassed, the last T TD there, Notre Dame eight plays, 89 yards. So I don't think there's much room to complain about the defense. They did have Notre Dame had a nine, nine play drive, uh, 13 play drive, seven play drive, eight play drive, which is just what they do. 
um, you flip it over to Carolina. And aside from the two touchdown drives of seven plays, Carolina had a 12-play drive, and the rest were three and four plays. Three, four, five. Yeah, and then seven plays, nine yards late in the game. But, Jason, what did Bateman do and what did the players accomplish? He, he Look, you rotate or, or you start, and I'm not sure how many of them started. I know Evans was out there. Grimes started. At times they had upwards of five or six true freshmen on the field against Notre Dame's offense. I mean, that's either insane or insanely uh, comfortable that your guys can get it done. And for the most part, you know, like I said, 24 points through 58 and a half minutes of a game against the number two team, hey, it worked out. So a couple things here. One is, uh, so by the way, Buck, they had seven missed tackles, which is a couple shy of what their, their norm is. They're normally giving up, like, at least based on PFF's numbers, which I think tend to be a little – often defensive coordinators are going to find a few more missed tackles than PFF will in terms of those numbers. Uh, they tend to be a little conservative with how they assign those in my view. But uh, they, they, they normally get somewhere between nine and 11 missed tackles a game. So seven is a little bit low for them. So that was, that was better. Still not where you'd like it to be. And actually some of those, the, the, some of the most devastating missed tackles were on book who was able to shake a guy this way or that way. And it wasn't necessarily even a, a missed tackle that would go as a missed tackle. He was able to make a guy miss in, in the backfield. I mean, I'm thinking of the one where you had two guys right in the backfield down in the red zone, had him in a potential sack and then, he's able to escape the pocket and, and throw for, for that key touchdown, that, that was a backbreaker. And, you know, it's, it was, that was the stuff that really hurt him. But as far as the freshmen, uh, what, it sh- what it tells you is that you've got a lot more talented freshmen than you have, <laughs> than you have Other guys. Uh, the, the, the older guys. I mean, that's what that tells you. That tells you that the talent level above the freshman class is not at the level that Mac Brown and, and, and that coaching staff ultimately are hoping to have in the program in three years. Did it and, surprise you? Did it surprise you that they blitzed Tony Grimes so much? No, he no, must it, be getting some, he must be making that play in practice a lot because they blitzed him a lot off the corner. Well, it also is a way of when you got a true freshman corner, who's really athletic and and he's in that situation to be able to uh to he's got the short corner then you can you can do that without feeling like you're giving up as much in coverage because they're going to they're going to potentially pick on the freshman anyway so you know this is where you're more likely to maybe to use him in a, in a blitz look than than you would be otherwise but i mean honestly they've been blitzing the corner a lot off that short corner all year as a, as an additional run defender, I mean that's just something that Jay likes to do. I mean he he he's he's willing to bring that corner a lot more than certain other coordinators will be because very rarely is the corner going to be accounted for in a blocking scheme. And if you've got a team that likes to run to the boundary, then they're going to run right into the teeth of that blitz, and they're not really going to have a guy that's assigned to block block the corner so you can you can cause a lot of problems for teams that like to that like to run some boundary stuff and Notre Dame does by doing that and then also if they run to the other side you've got a guy chasing and and so in certain situations that that corner blitz can be really effective and if you've got a guy that can come over the top and and cover well 
then you can be, you can be pretty good there. Uh, so I, I thought that was, I thought that that was sort of default for, for Bateman and how he does a lot of this stuff. But, uh, but I thought the thing was the, 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 the freshmen are the guys that stood out to me. So it wasn't well, just Hopper had a good game. Uh, Hopper. I mean, he's a senior, but I mean, I thought he had a good game comparatively speaking. He was yeah, doing some good things. Hopper had, had a good game. I thought actually he was one of the, one of the other, one of the only guys that was not a, not a freshman that, that, that flashed to me in this game. But if you look at who actually flashed to me in this game, Miles Murphy, stood out to me in this game i mean he made some mistakes but he's a guy who from the his first play on i mean he, he had what 20 i think he was on the on, on the field for what 23 snaps something like that uh looking at it now uh miles murphy yeah 23 snaps 23 snaps and i would venture to say that out of those 23 snaps he he made a difference for that front in a positive way on probably 16 of them. He's the kind of guy that can put an offensive lineman on roller skates. Yep. Know. And, and if you go back, he had a, he had a tackle for loss and that tackle for loss. If you go back and you watch that play, the entire defensive line other than him was two, two, two and a half yards upfield when he made that tackle. So he made the tackle just behind the line of scrimmage. Every other person on the defensive front Got was two up. yards was two yards up the field, two yards on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Now, he, he was going up against the tight end there, I think, but he, he whipped the tight end like you hope that kind of guy is going to do and got into the backfield. Well, Notre Dame has some good blocking tight ends too. Oh, they, got the some, they, got some dudes that, they got some dudes at tight end. And, you know, they're, they're, they're a problem. But Murphy, to me, looked like he took a huge step forward over the, over the, uh, the bye week. And we talked about this coming into this game and on the Game Plan podcast that it's the bye weeks that allow you to really work on getting your freshmen integrated. So if you're going to see freshmen play, it's going to be in these last three games because you've had a chance in that bye week to really work those guys in. And we saw Murphy. We saw uh, Evans we saw started. Evans. Evans started. Now he didn't, he only played eleven snaps because he made a few mistakes early on. There's one in particular where he he was out of his gap and it it, it cost him a, a big play in the running game. And so you know you gotta you gotta make sure that the guy is going to be reliable. But he's 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 close. He's real close to being where they want him to be to be an on track to where they want him to be going into next year. Evans played a, a, you know, a decent amount. Pinder, I thought, looked very good late. Uh, he didn't play as much until, until the, the second half. But I thought Pinder looked good. And basically, when those guys are on the field, you're, you're not looking at a situation, and, and I've, I've kind of hinted at this in the past, but there are certain situations where, depending on the personnel, you'll see teams specifically run at this guy or that guy in certain situations because they think they can blow that guy off the ball. Well, with guys like Pinder and Murphy, teams aren't able to do that. And that's where they're trying to move toward for next year to where they can have some of those guys on the field where 
you're going to be able, you're going to have to account for those guys. Not only are you not going to be able to blow them off the ball, but sometimes they're going to blow you off the ball. Even in, and the thing is, there were times where Notre Dame, as good as their offensive line was, you saw some of these guys actually make plays and get those offensive linemen on the ground or, or, uh, you know, move them back into the backfield that you saw, okay, there's the potential. By the time this guy's a junior, now, now you've got a chance. And especially when you stack that with the next, the next recruiting class. So that's where, you know, I think if I'm Bateman, I'm really frustrated that there were a few breakdowns that just, you're so close to holding Notre Dame to 17 points. I mean, really, really close to holding them to 17 points. You, if you don't jump off sides there, that's another stop. That's unbelievable, and that, too. Yeah, and, and they, they, scored a, they scored a touchdown on that drive. The game winner. Yeah, effectively. So you think about that. You don't have that. You don't have a guy out of a, guy out of a gap here or there in a couple other cases. You get a couple – man, they were real close on the uh, – uh, I, I thought uh, – McMichael made a great play in his zone where if he's just a tiny bit quicker transitioning on that, that's a potential interception. They were so close on some things to be in exactly where they want to be that you, you know, you're looking at that and you're going, man, I feel pretty, pretty happy about this. And then at the same point, you're more frustrated because you're, you're, you're getting that much closer. Yeah. So, you know, the, you know, the thing is that, uh, you know, you're just talking about how close McMichael was to getting that interception. How rare is it? I mean, it, it, this crossed my mind several times when I was watching the game. No turnovers by either side <laughs> in the game. Zero turnovers. It doesn't happen that much these days. And, and also, how often is it that you see a college football game where field position comes into play as much as that one? I mean, the field position is always a part of every game. But, I mean, without any turnovers and with, at times, both teams, you know, uh, having to battle uh, offensively to get yards, it mattered where you got the ball. Those, those two kicks that North Carolina got, like on the three-yard line or whatever, that mattered. And I think I read somewhere on Twitter this morning that uh, uh, Kiernan – uh, punted the ball inside the 20 five times yesterday. So North Carolina did its fair share in terms of, uh, you know, waging the field position battle. Particularly watching North Carolina this past two years, I, I've not really honed in on the field position battle very often because usually both teams are kind of going up and down, the, you know, the field. You know, because North Carolina couldn't stop anybody, and nobody could stop North Carolina. So, <laughs> more uh, traditional football game yesterday. Yeah, it was yeah. a traditional kind of game, and you, Tommy mentioned it earlier that Notre Dame's kind of game. Uh, yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier, Tommy, that it kind of reminds you of the uh, Florida State game, Judgment Day, because it was a real throwback game, kind of in a lot of ways. So, um. It was a different viewing experience. And, and, you know, the whole fourth quarter thing, when they had the lead going into fourth quarter, uh, they were only down by seven, Tar Heels were. I didn't have the same feeling that I have gotten in the past when they've been down 14 or even 21, you know, going into the fourth quarter. It just didn't seem to me that North Carolina had any 
answers or, you know, had answered any questions in the third quarter that would allow them to have success in the fourth quarter. Um, so, you know, that, that wasn't as surprising to me. I didn't have that feeling, well, North Carolina's going to come back and win this game. You know, they can. It might happen. It's the fourth quarter. you got 15 minutes to play. But I didn't have warm fuzzies going into the fourth quarter like I have against uh, some previous teams. That And that's real talk there. And part of it's like we talked about earlier, the lack of adjustments on offense to deal with what Notre Dame was doing. And that falls on the coaching staff. Let me – I want to kind of wrap this show up. Um, but, Jason, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about um, – Ja Conley for North Carolina. And the reason I won't do that, because, A, he got one of the only pure shots on book during the game. But we talked before the game about uh, number six and number 14 for Notre Dame and that they would be all over the field. Um, Awusu Kamaroa, Kuramoa, <laughs> and Hamilton. And Hamilton is a second leading tackler, even though he got kicked out in the second quarter. Uh, can Conley become that type player for this North Carolina defense? Because I agree that the defensive lines, Carolina's got to get better there, and they're going to. But when you've got a rover and a safety like Notre Dame had out there making plays left and right, I mean, I just think that cleans up a lot of mess. And those guys, at least from my vantage point, not watching it on TV, appear to be everywhere uh, for Notre Dame. And, and we knew they would be. They lived yeah. up to their bill. I, I think Conley can play the kind of role that uh, that that six does for them. I, I think that's he's not he's not going to be the uh, he's not going to be the, the the deep safety kind of guy that that you've got from from Ham, Hamilton. Hamilton moves better than Conley does. I mean, he's just a, a, a rangier player, uh, and Conley not quite as bursty. In that respect, I mean, he's 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 he moves well and he's fast, but he's not as sudden and bursty as as a guy like Hamilton. But I think you, I think he flashed in this game the versatility to play in pass coverage, to run with those tight ends and not be overmatched covering a tight end one on one, because he's got size to to handle the the physicality and not just get boxed out, and he can move. And then, and again, the reason that he becomes such a weapon is because you're looking at him as a safety with linebacker size. Those are the, those are the guys that every defensive coordinator in the country is coveting right now. If you've got a guy that you can put out there at the star or stud or whatever, you know, that, that position that everybody's talking about these days, it's kind of that hybrid position on the outside. And he can he can run with a guy deep. He can take a deep zone sometimes. He can be a, a great flat defender. He can handle curl zone. And then he can fill like a linebacker in the run. That makes you so much better defensively. And like you said, those guys from Notre Dame were all over the field. But those guys are, you know, experienced players. Grown. I, I, those are grown men. Conley's still a puppy. And you can see that there, he's still there's still a little bit of hesitation, a little false step in here and there. I think next year you're going to start to see him make that ne next step. I think he's going to look like basically he'll he could probably be eighty percent of what you're seeing from Notre Dame's Notre Dame's outside backer there, 
whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce because I don't have it in front of me right now. But you know that they're in the pregame. But I think (laughs) I think I think that um, I I think that's who he who he he can be. I mean that that's a really good comp for him moving forward to be that kind of player and in Bateman's system, especially as often as he's going to blitz that guy, as often as he's going to change where that guy is going to be just to cause problems. And book, by the way, had some trouble, especially early against what, what Bateman threw at him because they were making so many little tweaks and adjustments pre-snap. So they'd move, they'd shuffle the defensive line over. They'd, they'd uh, used a lot of slants and stunts. They did a lot of the stuff we talked about pregame. They did that stuff. And then they would, they would mass coverages and that sort of thing. And book book was taken a little bit to process. And the thing that really sticks out that Buck mentioned, he still didn't throw any interceptions. And the same thing and with he, Sam Howell. Yeah, that, there was you, really no nothing close to from him. either quarterback. Yeah. And right. and what that tells you is how against those defenses as well as those defenses both played. And, and you know, I do think Carolina's defense played well. As, as well as those, te- those defenses played, that tells you how good the quarterback play is on both, on both sides. When you don't have turnovers in those situations, both quarterbacks handled the game so well. Now, before we finish, I do want to highlight also, I was really impressed by Grimes. I, 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 thought, I thought Grimes in his first start, and, and we talked about after the, after the Virginia game that he, he, might, he might be taking a step forward. They have forward. won that spot. He may have won that spot, and and I think he did. Now, when Duck comes back, Duck's going to take that spot back. But Con, or, but uh, uh, Grimes is now firmly in that rotation, and he's going to continue to play at that spot. And I, I thought he flashed a lot of the potential that made him the guy that should be the number one corner in the 2021 class. And you, you could see that. You could see the the – Flex, the, the, the flexible hips, the, the, the loose hips, the ability to turn and run with receivers. I do want to emphasize, though, that when Herb Street is saying, you know, oh, he, he's got to turn his head and find the ball, Herb Street is wrong, just simply wrong in that situation. He says this every week, and it drives those of us who are, you know, familiar with defensive back coaching on that front, on that side, crazy. And Herb Street knows a little better than that, but that's, you know, this is standard commentator talking points. But, you know, he's out of phase. He's just, he's not on the hip. He's not even with the receiver. So he's got to run through the, run through the hands. And he's supposed to do that without, without getting body up and, and running through the guy. Thing was, on the, inter, on the interference, he did it correctly. When you go back, and that was something that I was impressed by, is he didn't panic. So you can see he's taken to Dre Bly's coaching because one of the things that that Dre emphasizes so much for those corners is don't panic. Don't panic. You may feel beat, but you're not beat yet. Don't panic. Get to to him. Trust your technique. Don't panic. And he didn't panic. When you go back and you watch that film, he's out of phase. He's a little beat. You know, he's just slightly out of position. And he's running to the hip like he's supposed to. And then he actually kept his distance and the receiver actually is the one who pushed him off and then caused himself to fall down. Now, the problem is that the indicators from the angle that the, that the, that the officials making the call from, it's going to look like he ran through him just because that's normally what you see. So it's a, it's a, it's an unfortunate call. It's going to get called probably 80, 90% of the time that way, just because of how 
quickly that happens and the indicators are generally what that what causes that call to happen but if you go back through and you look at that by the book that's not interference and that's a really good sign to me about a young corner who trusts his tools enough who trusts his coaching enough and his technique enough to even when he's slightly out of position to do it right not to panic and to play correctly that means that guy's starting to get it and with the physical tools he's got, that's another piece that moving forward, next year they should have three, maybe four potential NFL quarterbacks on, on the roster. I don't know what, whether Renee's going to stay. Uh, you know, it might be a good idea for him to, to get another year of post-ACL post, uh, uh, ACL surgery. But you're looking at having some pretty good pieces at corner, which then give you the luxury to do what Notre Dame did in terms of trying to take some things away on the inside, when you feel like, look, your guys aren't going to run by my corners. Your guys aren't going to beat my corners a bunch. Now you, can, now you're, you have the luxury of doing all sorts of different things. And that, by the way, is another reason why Bateman's defense against Notre Dame looked a lot different than it had the prior three or four games. When you have Michael and Grimes out there playing the way that they did at corner, it changes your defense completely. You know, uh, Jason, I'm, let, let me get this shot in before Tommy wraps. Um, I, I wasn't at the game, so I didn't have the full 22 uh, look. But I, I knew there was multiple times when Notre Dame had the ball um, that uh, Herb Street and uh, they would be talking about, well, he didn't have anywhere to throw the ball, talking about Ian Book. You know, everybody was covered. He had nowhere to throw the ball. You know, when we saw Grimes, you know, you looking at the broadcast, it was when they were picking on him and, and he got beat a couple of times. But there are a bunch of other times where, you know, he's out of frame and they're just saying, well, Book had nowhere to go with the ball. So if you get a look at the full 22, maybe, you know, we can uh, take a peek at how Grimes did in those situations. So. Yeah, and even in the situations where he did get beat and give up a catch or whatever, you, you, have to, you have to grade this as, okay, did he get beat because of a breakdown in technique, because of a weakness in his, in, you know, in his physical capacity? You have to break down why a guy made a catch. Yeah, I didn't see him blow any coverages. I mean, that wasn't an issue. No, uh, and, as and, far and as... When, he, when he gave up catches, he gave up catches because guys – were, made plays. They made plays. And all you can ask from a corner, especially in today's game, is make them earn it. If they're going to get a catch on you, they better dang well earn it. And if you've got a guy that can force the offense to earn it, to make contested catches, to, to run a great route, to be able to, to get there and to do this with, with very little space, you're doing your job. And he, he, was, he was not giving up a ton of space, even on the plays where he did get beat, even where there was a guy that made a catch on him. There was not a ton of space. So you're requiring that the offense actually execute at a high level. And, you know, it's like playing basketball. You know, that guy hits a three on you. Well, you know, sometimes you're there. You've got, you, you've got your – you're making a, you're the contest. You're right there. That guy makes that shot, and you just yep. – great defense, great offense, tip your cap, move on. And that's the thing that really was encouraging is watching Grimes there as a guy that, that was making him earn it as a true freshman at that position and a guy that really should be in high school. Yeah, and that's that, – you got it right there. I mean, that's a high school senior playing against a 
fourth, fifth, and some six-year players. Grad transfer. Yeah, so, uh, you know, a lot to be positive about. Talking about making plays, the catch by Emory Simmons. I mean, I doubt, I doubt that Notre Dame corner is saying, man, I screwed that up. I mean, it was just – He made him earn it, play. and he yeah. did. Yeah, you should go with somebody. Was it you? Somebody posted a picture that Jim Hawkins took of the Simmons catch on Twitter. It's awesome. I need to check it out. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, sometimes you just get beat. There's a lot of things to nitpick about yesterday's game. Um, some coaching stuff, some play stuff, some discipline stuff. But the bottom line is Notre Dame is legitimate and Carolina's getting there. And they got to grow up. And that's not, a, that's not a knock saying that they're young by choice. But when it's nine seniors on defense versus all those freshmen. Six freshmen. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's different. Uh, yeah. Guys, it's been fun. Next week probably won't be much of a podcast. Western Carolina comes to town a good mm-hmm. – we better they're, be talking – They're always about, shorter when the UNC wins around here in this neighborhood. Well, we're going to talk about Jacoby Criswell for 45 minutes next week. Doug. <laughs> so do your work. You get to talk about your favorite player, Tommy. <laughs> So if you could only get uh, Jacoby Criswell to karaoke, karaoke Nickelback, you'd be in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. They hammered me all day yesterday. You, you'd be in bliss there. They even yeah, got but, Ron Stutz in on that mess. I know. I know. <laughs> that's that's a shame. But, I'm going to pull down my number six Carolina jersey off the wall and wear it next week for, during the podcast. Wow. But but I'm I'm telling you the, the the last word for me on this is it goes back to what we were just talking about with corners that you got to make them earn it. I felt like Carolina made Notre Dame earn it. Yeah, as, as a team, and 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 so you know if you're gonna if you're gonna play the number two team in the country, the top five team, and you're 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 still building as a program, the the really what you're wanting to do is you're gonna have to make you want to make them earn it. Now Notre Dame stepped up and did. But this, is, this was a program that is building against a program that's been built. And the program that's building, I thought, made them earn it. And, and that's, uh, again, that's a step forward. This is, you know, there are no moral victories or whatever. Right. But this is, this is a step forward in terms of, again, establishing for a young roster. This is what it's going to take. They're going guys to South Bend an next year, too, aren't they, Tommy? Isn't yes. that the plan? I'm assuming and the I schedules stay the same. Looking at the rosters and what what, what North Carolina is coming has coming back and what Notre Dame's losing, preliminarily based on what I saw on the field yesterday, that that's going to be. I might I might even favor North Carolina at this stage in that game. That'll be a fun one to uh, to get up to South Bend. Yeah, assuming the schedule stays the same, there will be a rematch. Jason, I think you nailed it, Buck. You always do. Uh, the day after podcast, Johnny T-shirt. Good Johnny job, T-shirt, Tommy. Yes, I got it. Uh, rate us and review us. They get on me for not saying that enough. Please give us a rating. If you're not rating me, at least rate Jason and Buck. You know, they, they deserve five stars. Subscribe and all that good stuff. Boys, it's been fun. As always. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.